Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Kaiju Kingdom podcast. We are your hosts, Jessica, and I am Chris Eaton. And Jessica, yes, oh, a spectacular <laughs> episode lies ahead of us today. We have a very special guest. But yes, first, I do. want to thank our host, sir. Introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Mark Hadamio, and uh, he is playing uh, the MC of, uh, of this general or for for this meeting with this gentleman tonight. So, sir, if you could please introduce yourself. Uh, my name is uh, Ricardo Delgado. I am an artist and writer. And uh, Mr. Delgado was kind enough to take a little time out of his day to come in and sit down and let uh, Jessica and I annoy the crap out of him by asking him a million questions. <laughs> I'm here to answer a million questions, so it's, it's so, fine. So, um, for those who may not know, um, so <laughs> especially in, in this uh, realm of fandom, Mr. Delgado was probably most famously known for his design work on the, I, I, I don't want to say aborted because that sounds really bad, but it, 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 there's no other really way to put it. The aborted uh, Yonda Bont film of Godzilla back in 94. Is that true? That's absolutely true. I spent uh, a few pretty cool months uh, working on that film. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm proud of the design work I did on that film. And... Um, um, it was a good time I had by all. Yeah. So, well, we'll get into that a little bit, but this man has got, he's a... a He's got like a journeyman's like uh, like uh, list of stuff that he has worked on, and it is all spectacular. (laughs) Uh, So, sir, um, well, real quick, can I I like to tell? Can I tell a little story about how this came about? Um, I I work for another website called the Realmcast, and uh, on our Twitter feed, we had a gentleman named Ricardo Delgado uh, really comment on one of our podcasts, and I'm just like. Wait a second. So I wrote him back. I'm like, you wouldn't happen because he his. I checked his Twitter feed real quick and said, comic artist, storyboard artist. I'm what? Like, yes. I'm like, you wouldn't happen to be the same Ricardo Delgado that, you know, worked on the Godzilla film. He's like, no, I get, you know, uh, mistaken for him all the time. He's oh, wow. a far more. Ta- he even said himself, far more talented individual than I am. Well, that's very kind of him to say. It's mm-hmm. probably not true, but I appreciate <laughs> him saying that. So uh, I'm just like, all right. Well, you know, cool. And then you know, because. Um, Guests like you are, are who I'd love to have because your, your stories like yours have not really been told, and I'd love to hear like the fact that these are stories that need to be told. So okay, uh, <laughs> so literally a day later, um, uh, my uh, partner over at the Realmcast, uh, he's setting up to um, go to the Long Beach uh, Sci-Fi and Comic Expo, mm-hmm. and he shows me the lineup, and lo and behold, who's named I see on the list? Mr. Ricardo Delgado. I'm like, it's almost like the universe is shining down. This is my moment. So see if I can convince this gentleman to come on. And thus, now we have you today. And here we are. So thank yeah. you, sir. My pleasure. Small, a short story about that convention. It's the LA convention. Mm-hmm. And it's the one I used to go to as a kid mm-hmm. when I was going to Art Center, a place I teach. I graduate and I teach at now. And I used to go to that convention. It was in the Ambassador Hotel, which is the same hotel where Robert Kennedy was assassinated, mm-hmm. actually. But uh, I used to go to that convention with my younger brother, Ralph, and we uh, spent uh, a few uh, uh, just months there buying the uh, Frank Miller, Batman, you know, Dark Knight Returns and whatnot. And so it was full circle for me to come back uh, to the convention as a host, if that make, or as a guest, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Yeah. It, it, that was, uh, I've mentioned, okay, that was my first show my dad ever took me to as a child. That's where I bought my very first Godzilla bootleg. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, okay. back in 94. I bought a, 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 a AIP copy of Destroy All Monsters, because I couldn't find it for the life of me. Uh, 
I, I got to tell you, there's a few students that have got that got me uh, the stuff I can't get. Like the Straw Monster is apparently difficult to get, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this thing called the internet. <laughs> I remember when Chris was like, "We, you know, we have a guest," and so I was actually with my friends. Uh-huh. So they were like, "Oh, you know, who's your guest?" So it's more like him texting me, but I'm talking to the three people that are next to me, and then uh, a lot of them are artists for Disney animation, uh, for Disney. And a lot of them also work more in the film side in animation. So I was like, when you typed out the name, I was like, I know exactly who he is. And my friends were like, oh, we know his IMDb page. And I was like, Dark Horse, Age of Reptiles. <laughs> and then it was the silence and they were like, oh, we didn't, we didn't know that. It's because they all worked on film and animation. And then when they looked, they were like, well, that's something that you know, we knew him for. Right. But I grew up, I mean, I loved film and TV, but as Chris and Mark know, I grew up with a greater love for comics. Oh, okay. So that that's where I knew your name from, and I, I was, like, so excited. And then they were like, oh, I guess we're going to have to check out those comics also as well. So everyone knows you from, like, a different aspect. Yeah, it's, it's quite funny that way because uh, I do get, if you will, typecast, you know, like... Uh, Disney feature animation knows me as a designer, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. of the design stuff I've done for that studio. And um, <coughs> other places, other film crews know me as simply a storyboard artist because that's all I've done for them. Uh, um, and so it's kind of funny. I've kind of worn many different hats through the years, and I'm okay with that. You've been a Renaissance man. Yeah, well, I don't know about Renaissance man. More like a jack of all trades and master okay. of none. But uh, it keeps me busy. Keeps me busy. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get let's get into your story. Where does Ricardo Delgado get started in this crazy business? How, how do you get into, especially with you know a talented artist like you? Where do you start? Um, I well, I started by growing up here in Los Angeles, and uh, um, basically uh, I went to Art Center College of Design. Graduated from there in the summer of 89 and just kind of um, started working in TV animation, worked on stuff like the real Ghostbusters and, okay. you know, and uh, that was my first okay, job out of school and uh, I, I did that for about a year, year and a half um, and then uh, my, my big break was uh, getting the job as the concept artist, one of the concept artists on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yes. That was was my big break. Yeah, and I tried the... uh, I'd been doing the TV animation design stuff um, for a little while, uh, but I did want to work in live action. I did. And and so um, I kind of found out how to do that. There were some friends of mine that... um, we're in what what is called the illustrators union. There's d- different unions. Mm-hmm. I obviously it's kind of yeah. broken up like that. And um, uh, he he told me uh, a friend of mine, this guy named Tim Flattery, who's a dear friend of mine. We go back 20 years now, and he he uh, we were working on the same. Ep- we were working on GI Joe, I believe. Okay, uh, up at D, and he and he got a job uh, working on Batman Returns. Okay. So it's, it's, again, mm-hmm. it's a crazy business. You don't, you know, try to figure it out. So he literally uh, came up to me and said, I'm going to quit today because uh, they just, uh, I just made a deal to work on Batman Returns. So he went in and he told them that he was going to quit because uh, uh, he got hired for the, the sequel to that massive, you know, 
uh, Batman film that came out. And they got mad at him. They got mad at him for leaving G.I. Joe to work on, on Batman Returns. <laughs> but, I mean, but that is kind of a lesson of professionalism. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the sense that, yeah, it was a big move and he should have done it. Uh, uh, but then you, you still want, do want to finish up as best you can. I, I think he did. Um, but my point is, I, from, from knowing people like that, they were trying to take that next step from TV animation into live action. Is uh, I got interviewed for uh, the um, for the pilot of Deep Space Nine by mm-hmm. Herman Zimmerman, and uh, through circumstances that are pretty elaborate, I, I got the job. Uh, the, the elaborate circumstances were that it was a pretty low paying job, mm-hmm. and all the illustrators that were working went in and interviewed and turned it down because it was so low paying, and so uh, only then could they hire someone that was not in the union. So mm-hmm. that's how I got into the Illustrators Union, and I, I went from uh, Deep Space Nine, I was there for about a year and a half, and or two years, or whatever that was, and then in between seasons, I got hired to work on uh, True Lies, and so I left uh, I left Deep Space Nine and just kind of went, went, and went my way. So you right now, you've jumped from... Uh, the real, the Ghost real Ghostbusters, Busters, which was I, was was almost a bible to me as a child. Okay, I, I grew up on that. <laughs> yes. real, real quick, I, mean, I got to pick your brain on that. Real quick, what, can you tell us what, what you did on that show? Sure, I was a designer and uh, uh, I designed backgrounds and props and incidental characters. Mm. It was my first job out of out of school. I had no business getting a job that was <laughs> vaguely that cool, but it was also an introduction to. The harsh realities of that business. I, I had no idea what to ask for, mm-hmm. money wise, and I kind of gulped and said, you know, I was interviewing with the art director. And he said, well, how much do you make, kid? And I kind of gulped and said, I don't know, five hundred bucks. I don't know. <laughs> and he said, sounds good. And he went. I could see him. He <laughs> went down good. his list. He went down his list where, until he got to uh, background designer slash prop designer and said seven fifty. He crossed that out. He wrote five hundred dollars and he said, I'll see you Monday. Wow. It's, all right. Well, uh, but it was a, it was a, that aside, it was a, it was a fun, it was a fun show. There was an, there's an episode where there's like the, there's Simpson ghosts, I think. <laughs> you know, I think I, I helped to work on those, and it's ironic because my brother Ralph is a background designer on the Simpsons. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. The little, whole family's a. How about that? A cabal of arts. And then GI Joe. I got to ask about GI Joe. What'd you do on GI Joe? I was a background designer uh, on that as well, and. Uh, it was a, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a good time. Um, uh, uh, those, it's funny because my, my daughter was very young and I'd been uh, married a couple of years and so kind of balancing my life between uh, husband, father, mm-hmm. and uh, background designer. You know? <laughs> but those, those were cool shows. Back then, Deke Animation had uh, a whole floor of themselves, two floors of themselves, fifth and sixth floor, basically across the street from Warner Brothers uh, Studios in mm-hmm. Burbank. And so we went there and, and uh, we worked and uh, it was cool. It was a good training ground to get into the business. Yeah. In the late 80s, yeah, they were like one of the top uh, animations. Yeah, I graduated in 89, so this mm-hmm. must have been like 90, 91, yeah. something like that. Because if you're working at D, you're working on the later season of uh, G.I. Joe as well, I believe. Right, I, I, yeah, I also worked on the Macaulay Culkin. Oh, the um, Wish Kid! Yeah, okay. yeah. Oh my god, you worked on that? Yeah, I did. Yeah. This season, oh, that, that, yeah. I'm a cartoon uh, too, so oh, okay. when I bring up this stuff, people are like, wait, I don't ever remember that. Yeah, I, there was, uh, it was an NBC show, it was on... Uh, 
their Saturday morning block right before their the yeah. Super Mario Brothers three cartoons. So that's yeah, how I almost worked on Super Mario's, but really, but yeah, they, they had about eight or nine shows that mm-hmm. they had design yeah. units mm-hmm. for, and it was a it was a cool place. I mean, a lot of uh, pretty talented people uh, uh, there. Yeah. Wow, I can't believe you worked on Wish Kid. Yes. Yeah, and I remember people like yeah. screaming, like, "Wait, that's what?" And then they're all checking YouTube. To see I believe, I believe Wish Kid. I was working on Wish Kid when my daughter was born. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. How about yeah. the knuckles? You you that. have the type of IMDb page where I don't feel like closing because I'm disinterested. Because <laughs> well, every once in a while you have. I mean, there's no reason to look at like Michael Bay's or Jerry Bruckheimer's IMDb or actors, but every once in a while. You're you're curious about someone, so you find their IMDb page. Okay. And when you go and you're scrolling through it, you've become disinterested. Either you're not interested in the films, you've never heard of the films, or they're just, I would like to say, has a very minor impact in the industry, or you're just like, I don't know what these three horror films made in France are. Like, However, when I was scrolling through yours, because I, I first knew you through Age of Reptiles, through mm-hmm. comics, but when I was scrolling through yours, I was like, Oh my gosh! There's something about everything that he's worked on that I liked, <laughs> or have like a comment on, you know that I've, and so it kind of puts you through. We used to call them Wikipedia journeys, but like you go okay. on the IMDb journey because oh, then you start funny. clicking more and more tabs. Oh, that's funny. So I was like, no, because you had such everything that you've worked on is something that someone knows, people have heard of, and have liked, or at least have comments on. So uh, that's yeah. why I was like, oh my goodness, he has a great IMDb page. Well, thanks. No, it's been a good career. Uh, um, I'm proud of it. Uh, I don't edit my IMDb page, although you can do that. Mm-hmm. You can go in and select stuff that perhaps you think... You you're know, not so proud of. That you're not so proud of, or you think you're too good to work on, or whatever. And I, I don't do that. What I've worked on is what I've worked on. And uh, uh, there's some stuff early in my career that's there because that's what I did. And... Uh, um, whether it was something that was awesome, okay, or not so awesome, I feel like it's important to represent all that. Like there's a, I worked. Uh, I was really lucky. I worked. I was one of the last people to work at Hanna Barbera Studios, the actual location. Really? Yeah. Uh, but oh I worked there goodness. as freelance, and I I remember my wife driving me over there, and she parked in the we parked in the uh, Hanna Barbera parking lot, and I take my designs up for the Dark Water show. I worked on the Pirates. You worked on Pirates of Dark Water. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. Uh-huh. I love Pirates of Dark Water. Yeah. So what'd you do? Uh, is he just uh, what, what design work did you do? On just that? like uh, again, just a background designer designing pirate, <gasps> weird pirate stuff. That show is know? awesome. It, 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 it stuck out like it was. Uh, I, I compared it to like a, it was like a hint, almost like a Henson cartoon animated. Okay, just the look of it was a mile away from everything else out on TV at the time. No, and I, I, I'm proud of it because I grew up just worshiping all the Hanna Barbera yes. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? and. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the Herculoids to the Flintstones, yeah. the Herculoid, Flintstones. Johnny Quest. I love, love Johnny, Johnny Quest. Quest. Mm-hmm. I was watching. Um, what's the name of that? There's that um, picture. Uh, Ice Station Zebras, like Ernest Borgnine, Rock Hudson, a few other people. And I was thinking, boy, that looks like that Johnny Quest episode where the 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 uh, satellite crashes in the North Pole, and it was probably the other way around, mm-hmm. but. Um, again, well, um, Hanna Barbera probably admittedly borrowed a lot of elements from stuff of their course. show, but it didn't make them any less great, though. I agree with that mm-hmm. completely. I mean, certainly it influenced a picture that I'm pretty pl- proud of, uh, The Incredibles, right? Oh yeah, we're, we're yeah. into that. <laughs> that. 
But uh, for the for the Trek fans, I know there's a few on there. Uh, what what work did you do on uh, Deep Space Nine? Like, what I basically do? conceptualized uh, a lot of the show, working with uh, the production designer Herman Zimmerman and uh, the other illustrator on the show, Rick Sternbach, and producers. And um, I uh, I helped design uh, the exterior and the interior of uh, the station. More the interior, actually, to be honest with you. The the exterior had a lot of a uh, lot of chefs, mm-hmm. which I discovered early on that if something I don't want to say important, but if something's like a signature or flagship of a show or a picture, mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of people that are going to comment on that, even from uh, below and above. I mean, the the network got involved, and you know Rick Berman, the producer, got involved, and so that stuff is hard uh, to just kind of it's hard to say. Well, here's a drawing, there it is. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and uh, a cool story I uh, I designed I conceptualized the promenade for mm-hmm. that show and they built that set pretty much you know as described in my silly drawings on stage 17 and stage 17 is where I believe they shot a few of Hitchcock's films uh, uh, like 30 years before oh, nice. I think it's pretty cool yeah right <laughs> so um, I'm really proud of that I'm more, mm-hmm. I'm more proud that my <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of the fact You're that it was associated was with Hitchcock yeah. than the actual <laughs> yeah. stuff so. but it was like really, Star Trek Star Trek it was where Hitchcock did his work right mm-hmm. and uh, there was some other uh, stuff that was shot there were four stages that we shot on on Deep Space Nine it was stage four stage 17 and stage 18 which were right across from the Star Trek Next generation mm-hmm. uh, sets, but on stage eighteen, I believe that's the that's the rear window set. Mm. Oh wow! Yeah, see, yeah, yeah. see. So I, there, there was uh, you there was, see, you got to see. He's got a huge smile on his face right now. Just brought, the second you brought this, like the rear window, he like just right. Get <laughs> beamed because you know D Space Nine is cool and fine and all that, mm-hmm. but rear window is rear window. Yeah. And when you're a kid, you don't you don't appreciate that stuff. You, yeah. You're you're new into the business and you mm-hmm. feel like. Well, I want to work hard and make my mark, you know, whatever that means, you know. But uh, when you, um, to sort of make that story kind of circular, mm-hmm. I, uh, a couple of years ago, I was working on the um, the new Ninja Turtles movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And I, uh, <laughs> I uh, and it was the first time I'd been back on the lot since Deep Space Nine. Oh, wow. And, and it was only then, uh, when, when I got to the, when I got to Paramount and I was there for a few weeks... Um, they had begun to put plaques on each of the stages explaining which shows, you know, for better or for worse, were shot and what. And mm-hmm. so that's when I, that's when I realized that my silly sets, you know, the stuff I had done were actually shared stage space with like to catch a thief, you know. Yeah. See how cool that is. You get to touch yeah. history that way, right? Yes. Right. Right. So then, okay. So now you move on uh, on True Lies. Okay. The James Cameron opus. It was. It was my first. Feature, um, and Jim is everything he is. Mm-hmm. It's just everything you hear about him. Everything is, is true. Everything yes. is true. Uh, I will say he's, I, he's one of the smartest people I've ever met. That's why I've heard exactly. Yeah, I've heard there's just no, there's he, no. I heard two he's ways very about intense him. too. He's an intense fella. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and yet, uh, that like I remember have, uh, hearing a discussion about uh, miniatures. And I, they wanted to build miniatures of the freeway causeway that they were going to blow up in that picture. Mm-hmm. And um, essentially, with miniatures, the more effective they are, the more they, the bigger they are. Yeah. Right. The bigger they are, the more effective they are. Mm-hmm. The more you believe them. 
especially when you mix them with water, right? And the mm -hmm. causeway was sort of going to be mixed with water. And it's the producer's nature to look at a miniature and say, we've got to make it as little as possible mm -hmm. so we can do it as cheaply as possible, mm -hmm. right? Which makes sense money-wise, but not size-wise, okay? Yes. So the bigger the miniature, the more realistic it looks. And he just kept arguing for the bigger, the bigger miniatures. And he would say that, you know, uh, at this scale uh, and up, the uh, miniatures will look uh, real. And at this scale down, they will not. And, you know... He knows what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So from there, uh, Sid, oh, I'm sorry, I just dropped, I dropped a page of my okay. From there, I went to um, a show called the Sequest DSP. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I love Sequest. Okay. And uh, can you give us a little little something you did on that? Sure. I was a visual effects storyboard artist. Wow. Although I did design stuff mm -hmm. here and there, but the, the show was already designed when I. Um, when I got there, and mm -hmm. it was a cool experience. I spent about a year of my life on that uh, on the Universal lot, and honestly, between let me see now, between um, I was early in my career on four or five projects like that, uh, Apollo thirteen, <coughs> um, and a few other films. I spent about five years on the Universal lot. Wow! Yeah, it was awesome. It's it's a close call, but mm -hmm. I think the Universal lot is still my favorite lot of all time. I, I, I've heard story people just rave about that place. It's pretty cool. I mean, mm -hmm. they still have... I remember being a kid and my um, my uncles... My uncle taking me to... Uh, they were visiting from Costa Rica. That's where my family's from. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we went to the Universal lot. Uh, the, we went on the tour and there was this station that we disembarked at. And... Um, I never saw it again, and it was only one one time. I think it was during Jurassic Jurassic Three mm -hmm. that we uh, we actually got on a golf cart and um, went riding around up in the hills, and there it was. But it was completely abandoned. It was really weird. It was almost like a uh, a lost exhibit. That, that's how sort of convoluted and and um, I don't want to say unorganized, but I, if, I guess if I say unorganized in a good way, mm -hmm. that, they, that the universal lot is. You can literally go around a corner and see one universe and go around a corner and see something else, you know? It's kind of like, you know, because uh, last time I was there, and I took the, the tram tour where they show you the stuff. Um, we're coming around the corner, and I'm like, oh, okay, we're coming up to the watchtower, like, back to the future, awesome. And they're like, this is where we shoot sex in the city. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. okay, what about Back to the Future? I, right. I, I even I raised my hands like, hey, do we get to see the watchtower? They're like, or the clock tower? They're like, um, no, we closed that off because people were disinterested. And I was just like doing this in the back of my head. Well, wait a minute, didn't that all burn down? The clock tower survived. Oh, but okay. I know that they repurposed that set over there. Like the, the Back to the Future set's gone for the most part. The okay. clock tower did survive the, the fire. Okay. Unfortunately, we lost King Kong out of it though. Okay. But, um, I know the clock tower lived, but this this was uh, but this was before the, the the fire though. It was literally one week to the day of the fire. Oh wow! Yeah, so which, which was uh, a thing because we went through Kong and uh, when because uh, it was the day the Simpsons ride opened. Okay. And so when uh, we got when the news came on, my buddy called me. He's like, "Thank God we went when we did," because I had never seen King Kong before that. It's like now I at least got to see the the giant the That's mechanical cool. ape. Yeah. No, so, so basically, I on Apollo thirteen, I worked on the bungalows that. Uh, used to house Hitchcock's offices on the Universal lot, and and if I 
remember my Star Wars nerd historia. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe one of those bungalows was Lucas's office when he was doing Star Wars. Wow. Yeah, but all that mm-hmm. is where you splash down at the bottom of the Jurassic Park right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, like, and yeah, that just it kind of, it's a little dagger in your it's, heart. It, though, this but... business is not a fair business. No. It's not. It's, it's not. It's Well, it's like, have you ever heard Spielberg's story about what they did with the boat? No. Oh, the um, he on the Jaws documentary, I don't, I don't want to get too far, but this kind of goes with that. Um, he talked about uh, he would go out to the boat to you know when he had to get out of his office he goes mm-hmm. to the boat because that was you know Jaws was both his greatest and worst moment in his you know filmmaking career that and he go out there and he he reflect be like man you know things are hard now but God look Jaws was worse I all the stuff I had to deal with so he went out there one day and the boat's gone and he gets on the phone with the lot manager he's like hey where's my boat it's like oh um, yeah, we got the call from... They wanted to clear out the area because we're going to put something in here. So we chopped it down and sold it for scrap wood. And he, like, lost his mind. He's just like, what? It's like, yeah, you know, just we need to get rid of it. He's like, it's the boat from Jaws. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's That was it's, the... It's not a fair business. Yeah. It's not. It's like, you want the E.T. ride, don't you? We need to put that in there somewhere. <laughs> when, uh, yeah, I remember being... It was cool because I spent so much time... On the lot that uh, you could go freely onto any onto the really? universal the rides and the, stuff. Yeah. So and there's little known fact you could cut through the studio, take the stairs up, and then go to the city walk for lunch. Right. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. My buddies and I would do that, that all the time. Kind of the weirdest experience. It's Very almost like so. you're working in what is technically a theme park at, right. at some points too. Right. So it's like right. I need a break. I'm gonna go jump on the mummy ride to clear my head for a moment and then get off. No, there was a time we were working one Saturday on Apollo 13 and. And uh, talking about storyboards and whatnot, and then uh, there was a question that came up about the space in the capsule, and then Ron Howard was like, well, we can go down to the set because we have, we've built the capsule there. Mm-hmm. And so then we, we walked out the front door of the production office, and as soon as we walked out, it was a Saturday, and there was just tens of thousands of people just on the other side of the tram. And as we're walking through, we have to walk through them to get to the stages on the other mm-hmm. side. The other side of the backdraft ride, if you take yeah. any sense, okay? So, as we do that, Ron's in the lead, and it was just the weirdest thing to see everyone turn and look at him, and then the sea parted like Moses. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. And we just walked through and went in and uh, saw what we had to see and came back, but I, I never forgot that. Is he the, as nice of a guy as I've heard? Absolutely. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah no, you want to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a, he's a good guy. There was a, a one meeting that we were having with the, the Universal Executives, and uh, again, it was on a Saturday, and his kids were there. They were very young, and it was, an, it was kind of an intense meeting. We were pitching the storyboard to the executives. I think, I don't know if it was, they were asking for more money for the effects. I don't know, but um, so I mean, the kids were like, Dad, my, uh, uh, my Hot Wheels lost behind the sofa. And so he, and I was like, okay, I'll be right back. Mm-hmm. And he gets up in front of us, in front of all those execs, and he goes over to the sofa, and, and <laughs> I, we turn around, and there's his legs up in the air, and he's trying to get the Hot Wheels out from behind the sofa for his kids. So uh, Every once in a while, you run into somebody so decent like that, and mm-hmm. you go, well, that's who I'd like to be. You know, yeah. You're like, this business is worth staying in. There well, are some decent people. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Here so, and there. <laughs> I also see you worked your own species. 
Which had to be a uh, we were, we called it experience. yeah we called it feces when we, when we were <laughs> yeah yeah but that was a uh, uh, that was uh, my first big storyboarding job it was mm-hmm. my first feature storyboarding and um, the big thing I remember from that picture was it happened during we, I was working on that during the O.J. Simpson chase oh wow yeah as a mm-hmm. matter of fact we were in Beverly Hills and I was working for a nice man named uh, Roger Donaldson he's mm-hmm. a good director and. Um, yeah, all the all the hullabaloo about the Bronco and all that stuff happened right there. <laughs> so as you're as you're drawing, as you're storyboarding out, it's like okay, here's where Michael Madsen's going to shoot the naked alien. You got OJ like tearing butt down the street. Well, it's it's funny because you you know uh, that that story mm-hmm. kind of got me to start thinking a little bit about kind of I don't want to say questioning the story, but. Mm-hmm. We would have meetings about uh, the sequences, and I would say stuff like, "So what? What causes the kid to turn into? Mm-hmm. Does she? You know, is it like the Hulk? Does yeah. she get mad, or is it motivated? Does the moon come out?" Mm-hmm. And uh, they couldn't answer those questions. Wow. Yeah, and so I mean, I could say that twenty years. <laughs> Who cares, right? Yeah. Years, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's like the one lone species fan stuff. It's like, uh, how dare you, sir? But it's the movies are what they are. Especially they are what the they first are. One is it's it's it's. Uh, I think uh, that was my another kind of uh, uh, side from that picture is uh, I got to work not with but uh, on a picture with uh, HR Gear mm-hmm. right he was and he was yeah. and he was one of he was just one of my heroes as a kid I remember buying oh. um, being at Jemco Granada Hills in San Fernando Valley and buying the book of Alien and there was Giger's work and I just I, I just thought it was so cool and weird and I'd never seen a monster like that and I grew up you know loving and I still do love monsters and uh, I just never had seen anything like that before. Okay, let's stay here for a second. What, who, who are your influences growing up, and who are your like? Who do you like now, too? Well, growing up, I mean, I basically um, um, there's like 1977 and before. How about mm-hmm. that? So okay, 19 before 1977, I would say uh, Ray Harryhausen a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. I remember just begging my parents to take us to the theater to see, you know, Seven Voyages of Sinbad, right? Yeah. Which, and... Um, Modern classic. Right. It's classic, classic. Well, the, uh, I, I forget which came first. No, uh, I think Golden Voyage came first, and I had to see that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we went to see it. And then, because it did so well, I think uh, Columbia reissued, they re-released, that's the way they used to do it. Mm-hmm. They re-released uh, Seven Voyages of Sinbad, so we went to see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and... The Universal Monster films just really, really influenced me too. Well, who's um, your favorite out of those characters? Everyone has one. Oh, it's the Wolfman. Wolfman, yeah, because he's most sympathetic. But, mm-hmm. but I will say, from a design standpoint and from a, <laughs> from a movie standpoint, nothing beats the creature from the black. Yeah, that's, that's, yes. I hear that from yeah, everyone. Yeah. From yeah. The black every yeah. Yeah. every every any artist I've ever met, they're like, yeah, I love Frank. So I'm like, okay, but visually, it looks like oh, the creature, hands down. Like, hands everyone down. puts down the creature. So. I, I, I will say though, you, yeah, you, the. The first movie mm-hmm. is a really cool story. Mm-hmm. And the second movie is kind of okay. Yeah. And then the third movie is just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just goes off in a whole they different... They set like, him on fire. Yeah. And, and it's like, he, now he's human. It's like, how does yeah. fire do that? And then I, I grew up uh, watching like the uni- like the 40s and... Like the 30s and 40s were like the small monsters. And then mm-hmm. the the 50s were like the Universal and Warner Brothers. Like giant mm-hmm. bug and monster. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, like, like feature features. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There was mm-hmm. this... Uh, 
show called Creature Features here in LA, and I channel 11. right Channel Eleven. I used to always watch it, and then and I got Monster old Rally enough. Channel Five. Yeah, and I used to. Uh, <laughs> then I got old enough to have to go to Catechism, and my mom was like. We got to go to Catechism, son. And I'm like, yeah, but Creature Features on. <laughs> you know? So, and then I, I grew up uh, reading Famous Monsters of Filmland. Yes. yes. And, yeah, and then I, I was just telling my mom this a few years ago. Remember when I was sitting there reading, you know, um, Famous Monsters of Filmland, and uh, she saw a picture of some guy getting impaled, right? <laughs> and she just came by and whoosh, just took it uh, from me and never saw it again. Uh. Yeah, and I said, Mom, what did you do with it? She said, oh, I threw that away. <laughs> yeah. She, I mean, uh, well, I was like seven, eight years old, yeah. and, yeah. you know, there was this guy, like, uh, he was impaled through the back. Mm-hmm. So it was like he had the oh the, you know yeah. I, what, it was probably the hammer Dracula it's the probably Kitchurly, yeah, yeah. probably the shot in with the blood coming out of his mouth yeah. the, the yeah and so yeah. and then the back of the the magazine had like the Don Post masks and stuff mm-hmm. like that and yeah all that uh, I used to uh, really be obsessed with all that stuff but then the Star Star Wars came out and Star mm-hmm. Wars came out in seventy seven. And yep. it came out the day that I turned 13 years old. Oh, actually. wow. So just yeah. that perfect story. Perfect. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And I've just really never been the same since. Yeah. <laughs> so is that what gets... for a lot of us. Yeah. Right? So is that what gets you drawn? Uh, no. Um, i I got to say movies like the Godzilla films. Really? Right? Yeah. Because I used to draw like all the monsters. Like I used to saw Destroyer Monsters mm-hmm. and I thought it would be cool to get them all together. But I really... You know, didn't have a lot of reference uh, for them. So you were just hanging mm-hmm. off what you had. Right. right. So, uh, and then I, but I started realizing as I watched the movies that Godzilla looked different in each movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? he did. Yeah. yeah right. And um, my mom thought they were all cousins or they hatched from like the same eggs or something. Right. Like and, the same and, batch of right? eggs. And then uh, I saw King Kong versus Godzilla. Be- mm. When you're really young, you take that movie very seriously. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. It's your Superman Batman <laughs> right? for me. I was like, it's coming. No, to and, I, I, and I remember reading how uh, supposedly there was two endings to that movie, mm-hmm. which are really, I don't the think there are. No, there's only one. There's only one, yeah, right? Yeah. And uh, I, as a kid, I never understood why somehow Kong was the protagonist and mm-hmm. Godzilla was not, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? There was no order. There was no sense of order in this. So you didn't know, well, what ki- if, unless they were airing here, but like as a kid, I was a kid of the 80s. No internet or anything like that. So everything was VHS. I you got. try to, but as a kid, you try to rationalize all that stuff. Just yeah, like exactly, yeah. when you're when I was much younger, I would try to rationalize yes. all the stuff that happened with the Frankenstein monster's brain. Okay, mm-hmm. like, so Igor is wants to go in the monster's brain for this movie. So is that the brain that's in the movie for uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman? Another one of my favorites, right? So and, and so as a kid, you try to rationalize all of the Godzilla films. Mm-hmm. And all those things, and and somehow you kind of create almost a stream of consciousness narrative <laughs> that kind of fits your own sort of uh, strange perspective on stuff like that. But yeah. but the uh, the guys that got me to want to draw were um, Ray Harryhausen, mm-hmm. um, uh, Ralph McQuarrie, mm-hmm. yes, Ralph McQuarrie. Yes. And I honestly, I was at um, I was in junior college when someone said. Hey, you know what? You should go to Art Center. That's where Ralph McQuarrie went. And I ran home. <laughs> I drove home, actually. I was that old. And, and then I saw in the back of The Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. the, the art of The Empire Strikes Back, that that's where Ralph McQuarrie went. And that's why I wanted to go to Art Center. Because, of, like, I wouldn't have gone to Art Center uh, without uh, Ralph McQuarrie. Well, uh, the stars, I mean, you, any anybody in the film industry that's 
it's anybody down. Always have all said Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars is what did it. Star Wars. Yeah, I, I just never seen anything like that before. It, never. It, no one did. And then one and it's hard to one describe one. now because uh, uh, you know back in the seventies there was stuff like Planet of the Apes, the Planet of the Apes series, um, you know the Sinbad films, but there wasn't. And then uh, there was films like two thousand one, maybe ten years before, but there wasn't that uh, kind of combination of all of them. And it really just kind of punched me in the in the imagination, essentially. And I was uh, just really never the same. Absolutely. Yeah. It changed my life. Yeah. And set the new bar for everybody else, too. Well, very much so. I mean, in the, uh, like the year after that. And uh, there's, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out a way to write a book that's mm. based on that. From 77 to like 89. Mm. Like the, and I'm trying to parallel it. Uh, the day I turned 13 and then the, the, the month I... Graduated from Art Center, mm-hmm. yeah. so there was there was like a classic every year. Oh and, yeah, yeah, at the end, yeah. yeah. So someone's currently, I think, going through since the '80s are now turning 30 every year. Someone's mm-hmm. pulling out. Okay, so this year we got the 30th anniversary of this film. So this year's Back to the Future, Temple of Doom, yeah, Temple. Yeah. So everyone's going through. It's like the 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 second golden age is that, that people yeah. are calling it now. So Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, all because of Star Wars, too. And there's this weird transition, in, like in the mid-'80s, where there was uh, there was so much stuff going on, and then you had guys like um, James Cameron and John McTiernan and Tim Burton that kind of came in mm-hmm. almost on top of or sideways with the Lucas and Spielberg stuff that kind of almost added to that you know, in a cool, weird way. Like Predator. I love Predator. Love Fanta- Predator. Fantastic picture. It is. Yeah. So, uh, is that now? Is that what got you um, at, at this point? Now, look, can we delve into Age of Reptiles real quick? Because sure. the first one came out uh, what year? Ninety-four from Dark Horse. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Right, Ninety-four from Dark Horse, and then again in two thousand ten and eleven. So there's two series that came out in the nineties, mm-hmm. and then one that came out uh about four or five years ago mm. and yes. one that's about to come out this summer oh nice okay. yes yeah. and there's a couple of short stories as well in mm-hmm. the middle of all that but that represents the sum total of age of reptiles now obviously you're a dinosaur fan i am yes mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, so how, can you give us a uh, origin how this book came about sure um it's not going to be anything you expect. Okay. Okay. So I was. Well, those are the best stories. Yeah, I was like. going to say, how was your involvement with Dark Horse? You know, having Age of Reptiles. Sure. I uh, when uh, it was a young, I was a I was a young man, and I was working on Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. and um, there was a column in the LA Times about new shows that were starting off, and there was a little bit of a blurb saying that uh, Dark Horse. Uh, Entertainment, which is based in 20th Century Fox, is starting to ramp up an Alien vs. Predator film based on the comic. Mm-hmm. So, being the aggressive young go-getter that I was back then, I I, uh, <laughs> <Back> then. <laughs> I, called, I called the Fox lot and asked mm-hmm. for Dark Horse Entertainment. They put me through Dark Horse Entertainment. I said, hi, my name is Ricardo Delgado. I'm an illustrator. I'm working on Deep Space Nine. Because that, like, that gives you a little bit of yeah. street cred, right? Mm-hmm. Right there. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the I'm interested in the um, I'm interested in the uh, Alien vs Predator film. Should love to work on something like that. And uh, I don't know who the attendant was, but he was like, "Well, I don't think we're going to make the movie, but uh, if you fax us over some uh, some stuff, um, you know, I don't know if you're interested in doing comics." That's exactly how it happened. That's wow. amazing. <laughs> yeah, 
That's yeah. amazing because there's so many people now that are trying to break into comics or self-publish and everything. I know. I know. And uh, Philip Sablik uh, once had said that once there's a doorway to get into comics and mm-hmm. you're in it, that door immediately closes. And That's then it. there's another way to do it. There's yeah. In comics, there's 18 million different ways to get in. Yeah. And as soon as you do... That closes, and then someone's got to find a new a new talent has to come in and find another way to do it. No, I tell my students that story, and they flat out don't believe me, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. No, and so I I fax them some samples, and that's the way it used to work back then before the internet. You know, you <laughs> you send a cover sheet with, and mm. then a resume, and that's about ten or twelve samples, and. Um, yeah, they they said, you know, do you want to come in and talk to Mike? And yes. uh, mm-hmm. I was kind of like, okay, who's Mike? You know, and then <laughs> so it was Mike the Richardson, the publisher, and he came. In. I went in uh, uh, and one afternoon, and um, they were on the Fox lot, and he's, so what do you feel like? You know, would you like mm-hmm. to do a comic book with us? And I was like, sure, that would be great. You know, and I guess that must have been during uh, a comics boom. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And um, I said, well, I, I've always loved dinosaurs. I should love to do a story about uh, about dinosaurs. And he said, sounds good. Write me up a proposal and, you know, we'll figure it out. And so um, I did just that. And it came out at a perfect time, too, because it came out right, right in the draft. I'm sure that, you know, Mike's no dummy. And yeah. I'm sure he's like, hey, you know, mm-hmm. let's make a little money here. Yeah, and it's like any good publisher it. splits the... Uh, the atom that is publishing in the sense of mm. commerce and art, you know, uh, and um, uh, the first two series did really well, and um, people reacted very well to them. I, honestly, I, it's hard for me to look at them now. I really don't like them. Really? Yeah. The art is beautiful in them, too. Oh, you're very kind. Thanks. And that, I mean, that, but you I, are your own harshest critic, though. Well, actually, I don't know about that. I can live with a lot of stuff, but I kind of feel like those are... I was a kid when I did those stories, and I, as a, mm-hmm. as a storyteller, I feel like I've I've kind of grown a lot more, mm-hmm. and I kind of look back on them, you know. And I'm not saying fairly or unfairly; I'm just sort of saying that. Like you could do better. I don't even know about that. Mm-hmm. I just kind of like the story, the level, what I've learned storytelling wise. I mean, I've spent so much time at working with different directors who, like, that's their job is to tell a story, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we're spending so much time at Disney, which is like, you know, the story place. Mm-hmm. You know, they like to tell you that, but, you know, everyone <laughs> tells stories. But, you know, uh, I feel like uh, the most recent series and hopefully this one are, are I'm very proud of them, actually. And yeah. how is it that you go back so many years later? Is it they ask again, they approach you, or no, you're I- like... You know, I thought of something. I have more stories I would like to tell. That's basically what happened. I uh, I did a series called Hieroglyph for them. Yes. That um, was well received, but didn't do very well financially. And so um, I felt at that point that I didn't want to do comics. And so I kind of taught myself how to write. Mm-hmm. And I I, I, wrote, I, I wrote two novels. Yeah. And oh, I wow. had them published. And, um, and you dropped you did a little name drop. <laughs> and and, and uh, anyway, they were published. And so I I felt like, well, that, okay, I did that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, what next? And I, uh, I got to thinking. And it's not just got to thinking, but... You know, people would come up to me and say, hey, you know, like those Age of Reptiles comics, I like those, you know, when are you going to do some more? And the more I thought about it, the more I kind of came to the conclusion, like, yeah, there's more stories to tell. And there have been. Mm -hmm. There have been. So, um, excuse me, the new series, um, 
The, mm-hmm. Oh, excuse me. The the journey, which is the most recent series, mm-hmm. you know, did really well. And so um, I did two short stories that have also been received pretty nicely, and I'm I'm really grateful for. And so now I'm doing this this first this new uh, series is the first time that it'll have simply just one protagonist. That's it, and with uh, it with a a varied cast of characters, both sort of heroic and villainous as well. But um, it's my attempt to sort of further like the the journey was about a group of dinosaurs going mm-hmm. from point A to point B, mm-hmm. and kind of cathartically it was also I can say this now. It was my venting for my frustration of working on the Disney dinosaur film. Really? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because that was supposed oh, yeah. to be really cool. Yeah. And that came out to be, like, not really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, so not really cool. <laughs> Put that in your cap. We'll get into that okay. in a second. All right. But uh, I, I got to ask, I mean, working, I mean, toggling between um, the movie industry and the comic industry, I mean, was there much of a, like, a, a change? Especially uh, Age of Dinosaurs. I mean, that was your book. Through and through, was it not? Very much so, and so, that and very rarely do people actually get that opportunity. Right I know that, and that's kind of one of the reasons that <clears throat> I can't. Even, like after I wrote my, after the second novel was published, I said, okay, well now what? And, I, and that's that was kind of a bigger sort of thought on my mind that the older I get, the more I want to tell my own stories. Mm-hmm. So I I thought, well, I could continue to develop my novels which is what I'm doing mm-hmm. and I continue to develop my comics which is what I'm doing as well so um, uh, they both kind of run very parallel mm-hmm. but to sort of answer your question I mean uh, storytelling is storytelling you know whether you're storyboarding <clears throat> or doing comics uh, you know there's 24 pages in an issue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's five panels per page uh, you know mm-hmm. uh, uh, so that's that's uh, that's ninety ninety four pounds. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have ninety four pounds in a, in a, in twenty four pages to tell a story from beginning to end, and it's almost, and there's been times where I'm actually I'm roughing out. I do little roughs of each of the pages. Mm-hmm. Okay, in, in a little notebook, and I carry it around with me, right? And uh, and I actually do it so the layout of the comic is what I'm drawing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Right, like. Um, and um, once I once I do that, it's um, it's a pretty easy translation to the comic. But if I get stuck, what I'll do is I'll close that part of it and I'll just storyboard what mm-hmm. I want. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. I'll storyboard the action and I'll eliminate or add panels. And then I'll take those panels and I'll add them back into the empty page. <laughs> and then I figure out my story that way. So. And like you said, it's all about storytelling. And... If you go online, if you actually look up reviews, I don't know. Some some people don't like to look up reviews or comments about themselves, but people say it's very difficult to make a silent comic good. Is what they would call. I think some because, people might be. You know, a lot of, a lot of people are like, "No, I, what's comic without words?" I'm like, "No, it's sequential art. It's storytelling." But they actually loved it. They were like, "You know, we are," and I'm one of those people that go, "We were entranced from beginning to end. There's there's no there was no need for words." Uh, and people, I mean, you know, unless your dinosaurs are talking or something, but yeah. people were like, at first, I always have friends who are skeptical, like, mm-hmm. well, why is there a comic with no words? And I was like, well, there are plenty of silent comics. Or there are plenty of art. them, yeah. However, it is easier, as a lot of my writer friends say, it's easier just to write out, like, what is Batman thinking? What is this character saying? But however, when I show them things like Age of Reptiles or Owly, which is from Top Shelf, 
um, more for a younger audience. They were like, no, this is actually really good. There's no need for words uh -huh. because a picture is worth a thousand words. And if you do it right, they were like, we actually feel more impacted or more engrossed into well, you, a story. I, I will that say way. that I, that my comics uh, reflect again. Like I know more and more now, right? Mm -hmm. You know, in, in theory, anyway. And uh, as I got older, I learned to appreciate the films of Alfred Hitchcock mm -hmm. and Sergio Leone, mm -hmm. right? And those are extremely. You can say that about Spielberg as well. Extremely visually influenced uh, stories, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's almost not uh, part of the story is where the camera is placed and where the viewer views the the scene and. Some of the stuff that Leone did, you know, where he literally has two people 30 or 40 feet away from each other and he has the camera behind each one of them and he cut from one over the shoulder of one to the other. And that he was, you know, if not the first, mm -hmm. he was the first one that I saw and that was quite jarring back then. Usually you'll cut to sort of mm -hmm. like a wide shot in the middle and so you see him sort of facing off. I call it the, the line with the two beans on it, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and that's almost kind of a flat and an interesting composition, but he was the first guy to sort of <clears> take the camera <throat> and, and, and do that to it. And, you know, um, and then obviously Hitchcock's films are so visual as well. You look at stuff like Psycho and Rear Window, and it's just uh, really dazzling. Well, do you think that, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I might be answering my own question, but do you think that the fact that you were storyboarding before and when you jumped into it, especially to do a, just a silent comic shot at the bat, did that... Was that super influential and, you know... Very much so. It helped, like I said, it helps you. See. When I get stuck on my comic book, mm -hmm. I storyboard it out and figure it out that way, right? Because mm -hmm. honestly, storyboards are dispensable. Yeah. But, but they're also... You know, I, I mean, there's a bunch of my yeah. buddies that <laughs> completely you know, disagree with that, mm -hmm. but that, they're not the final... No, but they're, they're not yeah, the final you're word. setting up. They're, they're there because you want to get an right. idea of what you want the final shot to be. Right. And it's like... So this is before we waste uh, any of our film, but especially back nowadays. You, you know, I've known people who made films that are just like yeah, I didn't start where I would just shot until I got it right. It's like it's not a little, you know, it, it, it's a it's a method, but it's you not know, very cost effective. Not very yeah, cost effective. And the beauty about a storyboard is that you know, some people I've seen super elaborate storyboards. I don't know how you do yours that they're how elaborate they get. Like, it depends on the picture. Uh -huh. Like you can Google my name and storyboards and a bunch of. Really crappy drawings. Will come up. <laughs> you do like just very simple. No, like, no, no. Like I've done some pretty complex stuff. Like the uh, the uh, the Matrix stuff. The Matrix sequel stuff was pretty complex. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, the Apollo thirteen stuff was less so. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it depends on it depends on the picture and what the needs are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially for an effects driven film where all that stuff has to be has to be bid out to mm -hmm. the effects companies. Yeah. I mean, I, have to, I mean, I. I, I I have to know. Have there been times when you're sitting there, and you know, is there a director who's like, okay, I want to go from this end, and then when you show it to him, how many times it'd be like, no, let's try it like from a different angle or something like that. Or There's times where that happens, but most of the time, if they're professionals, mm -hmm. they don't like if they're wasting my time, they're wasting money. Yeah. Right. Yes. So a lot of times they'll tell you kind of what they want, mm -hmm. and you show them what you do, and a lot of times that involves your ideas and their ideas. And they'll, you know, say, well, they'll change this, change that. But for the most part, it's it, you, it's never really disagreeable. The times that it's been disagreeable is, you know, usually I just leave, I end up leaving the project. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's talk about Men in Black real quick. Okay. So you are, it says here you're an Elster Men in Black. Yeah. 
and uh, can you give us a little uh, a little glimpse into that? Sure, that was okay. my favorite job of all time. Okay, yeah, that's wonderful that yes. we've hit it. <laughs> yeah, no, I spent about eight months on that picture. Wow. I that's met Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I um, uh, we worked developing that film uh, in in the Amblin compound. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, on the Universal lot, it was awesome. And yeah. I was like right on the formation when he was getting ready to form DreamWorks, wasn't it? We were there during that whole deal. Wow, really? Absolutely, it was awesome. So we worked in the compound, uh, and um, I was there with a buddy, with two buddies. First guy's name is Carlos Huante. He's mm-hmm. kind of this big creature designer now. And this other fellow's name is Matthew Codd, and Matt is just an amazing artist. And, and he's sort of like a digital Matt Painter fella, and his, his stuff is spectacular, but... Uh, anyway, we worked in one of the offices in the compound. Mm-hmm. Um, the first day that I showed up, I went across the way toward the main building, and like three Mossad guys came up to me and said, "Hey, what are you doing here?" Mm-hmm. And so, like, there's like a lot of security. Uh, it's like security within security, if you will. You get into the lot, yeah, that's one thing, but to get in, into Amblin mm-hmm. is another another thing completely. So um, we were set up uh, uh, on. Uh, in the Amblin compound, we were working for uh, Colin Wilson. He was the producer, and uh, we developed aliens, you know, environments and concepts for for just month after month after month. And uh, I remember one morning uh, early on, Carlos had left the show, and Matt had started, and we were just sitting there drawing on a Monday morning, and suddenly this guy comes by in a light blue. I want to say polyester blazer. <laughs> and I, I looked at Matt, and he looked at me, and I said, dude, that's John Williams. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. And he and he looked at... Uh, the way he looked at me, I knew that I was right, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we had like a little uh, Amblin, you know, I don't know, phone directory, and so we looked him up, you know, John Williams, <laughs> Michael Kahn, you know, they were all there. They yeah. were all there. I think that's the that the time when Spielberg was making the transition from Dean Cundey mm-hmm. to uh, uh, to the guy who, who shoots all this stuff now, which is the difference between Jurassic Park and The Lost World, the second yeah. picture, right? So the first one is sort of more, I mean, classic Spielberg, if you yeah. will, right? But uh, anyway, I, I was so stupidly, you know, ballsy. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I saw the John Williams number and I just called the number and I said hi, mm-hmm. and the fellow that answered the phone for Mister Williams said hi. I said, hi, I'm Ricardo, you know, working on the show, and, you know, big admirer, Mr. Williams. Oh, okay, thanks. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. And, you know, uh, listen, I have some stuff here that I'd be cool if Mr. Williams can sign. You think he'd do that? Mm-hmm. And he said, sure, no problem. You know, not too many. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because he kind of sensed the blood in the water, if yeah, you will. Yeah. Right? So the next day we brought in, okay, we were like, well, let's bring, what are we going to bring in? Mm-hmm. So I brought in my box. My boxed uh, Star Wars collection mm-hmm. of the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's only one trilogy, yeah. if you ask me. But <laughs> anyway, uh, and we uh, we took it over and left it with the fella. And a few days later, you know, they came back and it signed uh, to me. And uh, that's, yeah, I'm so proud of that. Absolutely. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> but anyway, one of my favorite. We used to go into the uh, arcade uh, when it was slow. Mm-hmm. We'd go into the. The Amblin Arcade when they weren't when Spielberg wasn't in there and we'd play arcade games in the afternoons and what did he what did Spielberg have stocked in his arcade? Uh, okay, the, first of all there was a few pinball machines. Mm-hmm. There's a there was a really cool plain uh, 
uh, first-person plane thing, but it was two people that could play it. I'd never seen it before, it, and it was. I think I know which one. Yeah, it was awesome. It was, was it awesome. like on a gyro thing. Did it yes, work? it was. Yes. And okay, Matt I and I would play that. Yeah, I would. You know, you could be different planes from different eras. It was really cool. And he had a bunch of artwork on the wall that was framed for Mad Magazine mm-hmm. originals. Oh, wow. Just to re- yeah, <laughs> and throughout the uh, the compound inside inside, mm-hmm. he had nothing but um, uh, Rockwell originals. Oh my god! And there's one called the Orphan Train. You can Google it, and it'll mm-hmm. come up. And that thing will make you cry if you look at it. It's wow. just because it was the story is there's a bunch of trains mm-hmm. sort of around the turn of the century that would just go from town to town with with orphans in them. Mm. And so you could go and the orphan train comes up and you could pick kids. <laughs> yeah. It's like produce coming in, right? From, but you from just the it, you and the train I think is painted in black and it's just just beautiful. Wow! So yeah. you're playing pinball while you're looking at a Rockwell painting. Just a hell of an experience, right there. It was it was my favorite mm-hmm. my favorite experience of all time. It, now, uh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. There. It's okay, but uh, okay. So I gotta ask, uh, what did, you did some? Did you do the, the creature design? I know you're you're doing. I a did a bunch stuff. of creature concepts, but none of the stuff that we did mm-hmm. ended up in the picture. Oh, that sucks. No, because we were working for different directors. Oh, okay. They, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Barry Sonnenfeld was not the original director. Right? Really? Yeah. How about them apples? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that that's what I didn't know. I, I knew it was, um, I run, I did, one of the weirdest things I found out was it was a project that Tommy Lee Jones, I guess, had brought to him. Or like he had some stake in the movie. That, so. that I have no idea. But, yeah. And that but, makes sense why he got paid twice then. Yeah. Because I know he had some sort of stake. Like he had actually, I think, was part of the reason why I think Will Smith got into the film too. Originally it was going to be, Will Smith was not the first choice as mm-hmm. far as I know. It was going to yeah. be the, one of the kids from Friends. Uh, oh, um, not the, uh, not Joey. Uh, I don't know any of the characters in Friends, so you got me. Right. Okay, so it's probably I think it might have been like uh, um, it's the uh, tall kid with the big nose. Oh, Swimmer. David Schwimmer, yeah, because he was kind of like the indie darling at the it time. It was him, yeah. or it was going to be the kid that was in Batman and Robin. He played. Oh, Batman. Chris McDonald. Yeah, those two guys were the hot names, mm-hmm. and then Will Smith kind of came up later on, and then he just became because uh, again. The producer of the film, uh, it was Colin Wilson, but there was also Steve Mullen. Steve, mm-hmm. And Steve was a nice fella. Mm-hmm. His dad was like a teamster all the way back to the, the Hitchcock days and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. Way back at Universal. And so, and Steve was kind of a down to, that's one of the cool things about show business. One of the cool things that you get people from different strata, I'll call mm-hmm. it. That kind of mixed together, and Steve, even though he was a producer, now he runs DreamWorks. He's oh, wow. the day-to-day mm-hmm. producer of DreamWorks. But uh, back then, he was just kind of one of the lesser producers, and he was assigned to our picture. He almost seemed, I don't want to say bored, but he'd come in, hey, what's going on, fellas? You know, we show him our drawings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He was sort of the day-to-day guy that would sort of wrangle us, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. And Spielberg would come He's in every few weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, we would, he would say, well, you know, we're not sure about the story. And, like, the, the, the script that, you, that was made is absolutely not the script that I worked from. So that was completely different. It wasn't the Ed Solomon script. Or uh, was Ed it was an Ed one? Solomon script, and it was but about just had been uh, reworked over by. Was it his original script? What the Ed Solomon script had was not when it. Excuse me. The final what? script was nothing like the Ed Solomon script. Really, nothing, nothing. There was like uh, stuff that happened in New Mexico with a, one of the mesas taken off, and mm-hmm. uh, the bad guy was an alien named Yaz. And um, he was kind of almost like a. He came down 
for, uh, and everyone mistook him. It was like a deity play. It was almost mm-hmm. really a cool sort of 60s Star Trek thing. Where what, was, it, was it the tone much different too? No, it was still pretty funny. It was still, funny. Kind of, it was like still like pretty a, funny. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. You just blew my mind right there. I didn't know See, any of that. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, but again, we looked at it like um, kind of a pastiche of Outer Limits episodes. And mm-hmm. we were like, I don't know. And then I don't know. Home. Yeah, you just you don't know in this business. Lo and behold, it becomes the top grossing film in 1997. You never know. Knox, Savile, or Lost World. Yeah. And uh, ironically, was the place where the Godzilla trailer debuted for the first time. I remember that as well. Mm-hmm. I, I remember being on. I remember being on Men in Black, and they they sent me the script for Independence Day. I was asked to work on that picture, and I read that, and I go, "There's no way mm-hmm. they're going to shoot this movie." They this biplane takes down the... Uh, oh, the, they saw the original biplane. Yeah, even, yeah. They actually shot that, too. I believe they did. Yeah. Yeah. And they tested it, and everyone said, there's no way that a biplane is <laughs> taking up with, with yeah. yeah. You're pushing the, the boundaries of what people are willing to accept with some of this stuff. Yeah, because the biplane footage is on the DVD. Back when DVDs would really make you care about all the extras they would put on them. Right. And and it's Randy Quaid and he's half drunk and he's up there with Bill Palma and you're just like, yeah, these jets would have been like 19 miles down the road. Yeah, there's no way that they're going to shoot this thing and that's yeah. pretty much what they shot. Yeah, um, and like so, that's the thing about my job is that sometimes they use what you did exactly, mm-hmm. like on Deep Space Nine. Then there's stuff. Then there's times like Men in Black where I've I got a bunch of artwork that no one's ever going to see, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because that's they changed hands. Uh, on True Lies, I was brought in to design one thing, mm-hmm. and I designed that, and that's that's basically... I left after that, so you never know. Wow, it's a fascinating... fascinating and that, I met a really nice man on that show. His name is Peter Lamont. Peter mm-hmm. Lamont was... Uh, he was involved with the 60s Bond films. Oh, so the Connery yeah. era stuff. Uh, the Connery era, the mm-hmm. George Lazenby era. Mm-hmm. He, uh, actually, in the Roger Moore era. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everything after 69 yeah. to... Casino Royale, you can just kind of, uh, <laughs> yes, me. Poor Timothy Dalton. <laughs> yeah. Those are okay, just yeah. not, like, those films came out in the middle of, like, Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Like, you, pre- pre- uh, you yeah. compare Die Hard to those Timothy Dalton films, you just go, yeah, the one where the guy's falling off the building. That yeah, was cool. Yeah. yeah. And uh, while speaking on Bond, you also worked on James Bond Jr. I did, absolutely. <laughs> yes. That's what I mean. Yes, See? my friend could not stop singing that theme for a couple of weeks. Uh, if you put a gun in my head and made me yeah. sing that song, you'd kill me right away. But I don't remember it. Yeah. No, again, I that's another job. I was working at Deke. Mm-hmm. Was I working at Deke? And uh, was um, property. And the um, the I was doing freelance at night for uh, James Bond Jr. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, uh, we had. I had uh, moderated a panel called the Battle of the Bonds during mm-hmm. Stanley's Kamikaze, where we had I had different guests and talents, kind of represent each Bond that they felt would have been the best Bond. Of course, there were questions, answer there, everything. George Lazenby. Oh my! Look how fast he answered. Mm-hmm. He was like George Lazenby. Yeah, best, that's the best James Bond movie ever made. But, Ironically, an Australian too. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> I, they couldn't get a British dude to be. Uh, I love the Connery films and the Daniel mm-hmm. Craig right. stuff is cool, but Her Majesty's right. Secret Service is absolutely the best Bond movie ever. People made. loved it, and it was so hilarious. And I was telling my friends about it. They're like, "Yeah, I know. We'll come to your panel, support you." 
friend starts going, what about James Bond Jr., huh? Yeah. Nobody's representing him. No, that doesn't need to And be then, right. like, three people know, knew what yeah. we were talking about. Yeah. Everyone else had no idea. Yeah, deservedly so. Yeah. And then, but he loved it. He loved That's the cool. theme song. And he was like, no, it was something I enjoyed. James Bond, James Bond Jr. Yeah, I know. Believe me, I know it. Pretty much as a child, and he poured it in a store. I was and see, that's it. that's the that's the difference between being a kid working mm-hmm. for Peter Lamont mm-hmm. and who I am now. Because if I work with Peter Lamont today, I just have a million questions about mm-hmm. Her Majesty's Secret Service and all the films of the sixties, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and how much of an idiot George Lazenby was. Clearly, <laughs> if you watch those documentaries, oh yes, oh yeah. How do you tell. like? They, you know, they offered him seven pictures. Yeah, seven picture deal, and he turned it down. Yeah, because yeah. well, it was some, there's uh, there's a, a documentary called uh, Not Quite Hollywood. It's about the uh, boom in the '70s of the Australian film industry. Oh, and they talk to they they sit down and talk to him, and he even mentions like, yeah, I was a goddamn moron about yeah, it. It's like I, I shot myself in the foot. I thought it was too big for my own britches, and pretty much I Wasn't screwed it, it up. Was it a suggestion from his agent? Yeah, or his something like that. Because he was like, one of the highest paid. Models at the time, something like that. Yeah, and my friends like actually he is now what he did afterwards after doing that film. He did a bunch of like real estate investment stocks, everything. He's actually one of the wealthiest bonds, oh, you know, wow. like to come out of it. Mm-hmm. He like half of California is owned by him secretly. Wow. So I mean, in many ways, he got the last laugh. He did, but, but they but, were like, "Oh man, if I had you only stayed yeah. with all of the films." The tone of the tone of the films changed after that, and they became really, really silly. Uh, yeah, they almost <laughs> became parodies of themselves. Yeah, the Roger Moore era was yeah. ridiculous. I agree. Although I liked, so I liked a lot of Moonraker. I'll like, I'll say that. My buddies and I would talk about it. Like, name one good Roger Moore fight. <laughs> and they he really, yeah, he was not a physical yeah. Bond. He but, was a very pudgy Bond. But you watch, you watch uh, Lazenby and mm-hmm. Our Majesty's Secret Service. Oh, he's a stra- He was a strapping he, he's guy. He's a badass. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I grew up. My my the, like everyone like now they say everyone has their doctor of their yeah. generation. I Bond for me growing up was always Pierce Brosnan. So. Uh, Golden okay. Eye was the first one I ever Golden saw. Golden Eye's pretty good. Love Golden Eye. I have a soft spot for uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. And then, admittedly, yeah, they go it did down. Just gets, mm. Yeah, they they fell almost into like their own modern. <clears throat> well, they, they kind of started hiring directors that weren't very good. Honestly, now, yeah, that's part of the problem. Yeah. Like when you have a show, much much like the Godzilla films, when you know you have something that's beloved and it's like we can keep going, but. There are times when it's like you really do need to mix things up. Uh, it's over. Do we want to make a buck or do we want to make a keep a pro- make a product that's going to keep making us money in the long run? And that, that's a problem that uh, Toho ran into for a while. That's right. It's a problem that Bond has run into. Right. So. Right. Right. So uh, let's talk about your Disney work. Okay. Because you you worked what I I like to think of is was like a like a miniature. I don't want to say it was a, just a, a small boom period in the 2000s mm-hmm. where I thought Disney was cranking out some of their best work right okay. before they made the switch to uh, CG. Okay, I was there when they made the switch. Were you? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I'm going to pick your brain because... Um, Tough times for a lot of people. Were, wow. Yeah. Okay, so uh, during the late 90s, after Katzenberg left uh, Disney, when he went to go form DreamWorks, yes. was it? So there, you could tell there was a definite quality kind of starting to drop a little bit. That was before my time mm-hmm. because I was on Men in Black when Katzenberg was in was in the building, yeah. uh, creating his DreamWorks SKG as it was called back mm-hmm. then. And so I had uh, I had already I had not worked at Disney yet, 
But uh, uh, when I got to Disney, ironically because of my comic book, mm-hmm. like I got really hired, Angel Reptiles yes. got you at Disney. Wow. Yes, that's how I landed at um, at Disney because they wanted me to work on that that dinosaur film. Okay, so let's start with that. So okay. dinosaur was the first one. That was Disney's first major attempt, I think, at a CG film yes. too. Yes. Well, Disney Studios, the pictures. Yes. So well, um, no, that's the first one. That's the first one that got made. There was one before that that I worked on. Really? Well, which one was that? It one? was uh, going to be directed by David Allen and another fellow. David Allen is a stop motion animator who's mm-hmm. since, since passed away. But mm-hmm. um, David Allen originally it was going to be um, the fellow that directed RoboCop, Paul Verhoeven. Paul Verhoeven. And look Phil how Tip- fast Chris spat out that name. <laughs> and, and, and Phil Tippett. Really? Yes. Oh, okay. They, oh, they were in a, yeah. They, they were doing mm-hmm. dinosaur first. I. That's okay. right. Yeah. They, their version of the story was pretty much cooler than the. Uh, well, Verhoeven's going to do it. He's going to want something a little bite to it. Well, right? they, 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 yeah. you know, no pun intended. Right. And so then I worked mm-hmm. on that very briefly. I designed families to arachnosaurs. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. after that, uh, about a year later, um, I forget whether that was when my comic came out or not, but. I got a call from Disney Feature Animation, and the first thing they ask you is if you're under contract, and I said, yes, mm-hmm. I'm under contract to do this comic book, and they're like, well, but that's what we're calling you, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. um, that's kind of one of the, significantly, one of the advantages have that you that you have as a, as a creator of anything, that if you have a book uh, with a story, you're, you're considered, uh, they, the studios consider you very, very carefully, mm-hmm. because uh, uh, you can take it to court. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're just the artist with a portfolio, mm-hmm. they don't respect you. They'll just okay. use you or not use you. Yeah. So you're at the your beck and call. But anyway, mm-hmm. dinosaur mm-hmm. that the version of dinosaur was what Disney hired me to work on, and I was on it for you know. There are some similarities between your work and dinosaur. I admittedly, I mean, it's about family dinosaurs. Yeah. Well, the final version. It's been a very long time since I watched it. That's two hours of your life, man. I yeah. Mean, well, know. it was it was, it was my, my, fair, my very first job I ever got was at a movie theater in Cypress, California. Cool. And we had to change out Flintstones' Viva Rock Vegas for Dinosaur that that week. So I'd rather watch Viva Rock Vegas, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so, take us through this process of what happened with Dinosaur. Well, basically, they hired me to work on what I thought was going to be a nature movie. Mm-hmm. Basically an hour and 20 minutes of Jurassic Park dinosaurs. Okay. And it slowly eroded into um, um, a sappy, you know, maudlin, mm-hmm. um, overwrought story about uh, evolution and the the point, the tre- the the uncoolness of dinosaurs essentially right because that story is about uh, lemurs are going to be humans and Mm -hmm. dinosaurs are antiquated and not cool and we should help Mm -hmm. we should at our own expense help them sort of evolve and I don't really look at dinosaurs like that. No, and, mean, and, it's uh, very hard to make dinosaurs uncool. I mean, they're well. That movie I cried really watching it when I was young. <laughs> that movie gave it a pretty good shot. I'll say that. Yeah, and so uh, I was on it for a long time, doing you know designs and storyboards, mm-hmm. and you know, after a while, I I actually requested to be reassigned. Really? Yeah. So wow. did that? Okay. So did I, that, I didn't feel I didn't have any confidence in the story. Wow. Wow. And as nice as they were, mm-hmm. a few people in charge of the story. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'll take that exactly. As like, I especially said. if you come into the studio, like I'd already worked with like Ron Howard and James mm-hmm. Cameron. And you worked, yeah, you worked okay? with the Murders Row. So then you, well, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. And then you come into the studio and you're like, look, look, we do, and they say we, mm-hmm. we as in we've done all these movies and they were on a pretty good run at that point. Mm-hmm. So we know what we're doing. And I'm like, okay, well, I, mean, I haven't heard of, you know, a lot of people here, but the the proof is in the pudding, right? Yeah. You know, they've made some good pictures, uh, and yet um, the the longer I was on this thing, then they decided when they decided to make them talk, then that's kind of when I was like, you're like, I need to be reassigned. Done. And then I went to the producer Pam Marsden and I said, I I'd like to be reassigned. Can you put me on another picture? Because I was under contract mm-hmm. you know, at the studio. And so I ended up being moved over to Emperor's New Groove, which, which I it's one my of my kids gems. love that movie. It's one of their gems, yeah. like uh, because there was a point in where I'm, where Disney looked like they were heading back into that mid '80s period where they were like they're hitting that kind of like bumpy road before mm-hmm. Katzenberg took over, mm-hmm. and after Lion King or I would say Pocahontas. They really kind of started hitting that because I don't consider anything past like they had a string of like awesome Little Mermaid, you know. Wrestling. That's what I mean. I was yeah. there. I was yeah. there at the apex of that. Yeah. So there was no arguing with that. Yeah. Right? And everyone was just probably like jacked up. They're like, we can't do any wrong right now. Yeah. Like, and we I, just had. And they were like, well, here's the directors, and mm-hmm. you know, the, these are the shepherds, the stewards of of the show. And uh, I was like, okay. I mean, I've never heard of you guys, but yeah. you know. Your your resume recently speaks for itself. You, know, mm-hmm. you really can't argue with that. But as we went, it just got progressively worse. Yeah, and uh, dinosaur, I think probably reached showed that apex uh, or the apex of where they were heading. And I, the look is once Emperor's New Groove came out, it seemed like someone had had the foresight to at least look down the road. It's like, oh, we're going down the wrong path. We need to do something maybe one eighty what we've been doing. Well, that picture was originally called Kingdom of the Sun, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, and they, uh, it was more of a Prince and the Popper story, mm-hmm. and they er, stopped that thing, and everyone got off, and then they made the, the, the comedy that's called Emperor's New Groove. Yeah. It's, it's a brilliant movie. It I'm is, and it's, it. it is, mm-hmm. a, and when I sat down and watched, I, I sat down and watched it, and at the time, I think it was like 2000 when that came out, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it, I'm sitting there, I was like, this is a Disney movie? This is like, it, it feels like, like, almost mm-hmm. like a... It had like a like a Kitty uh, like Fairly Brothers kind of aspect to it. Uh, uh, yeah, yep. And it just I and there's some funny stuff in that picture. There's a lot of hilarious stuff yeah. in there. It was like, hey, I respect David Spade again, right? Yeah, <clears throat> and John Goodman is just as, as great as always. So yeah, it, it sits proudly on my DVD shelf. I pop it out at least once every six months and sit down and enjoy that. Everything about that movie is great and doesn't. It's like this doesn't reek of anything Disney. There's really no. They didn't have to stop and do a song and dance routine in the middle of it. Like mm-hmm. they had the opening, but it was like a sequence, so it, it right. felt it didn't feel out of place. Everything just flowed perfectly with it. Yeah. No, it's a lot of fun. Every once in a while, you feel justified in <clears throat> working something that's cool, mm-hmm. and yeah, that was one of them. It's one of the few films I feel like, as a child, you see it as what it is, mm-hmm. an animated right. film. But when you're older, as an adult, you still enjoy. There's it still for some a cleverness there for that for a whole nother reason, and then you love it. <clears throat> yeah. Well, one yeah. of the stories there at that studio is somebody asked. Walt Disney, why he makes, you know, uh, movies for kids. And he said, I make movies for the kids and all of us, which I thought was, you know, very apropos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So does that, did that, is that what got you work on Atlantis? Yes. Okay. I went from, a, from 
Emperor's New Groove, which I was I was in the middle of doing development stuff, mm-hmm. and then across the way from me, um, this guy set up offices. Uh, I don't know what he was working on before, but his name was Don Hahn. Mm-hmm. And Don Hahn is one of the coolest people I've ever met in this business. He was the producer of Lion King and a bunch of other stuff. And, you know, he, oh, well, obviously he had done Beauty and the Beast, right, mm-hmm. with Kirk and Gary. And so he and Kirk and Gary kind of set up shop around me. And I was just sitting there doing a bunch of, you know, um, uh, Andy and Hillsides and, you know, um, temples and whatnot for for Emperor. Uh, but uh, I don't know how, I think I was able to catch Don once on the way in around. I said, hey, you know what, I've done a lot of live action design, you know, because uh, I saw them sort of setting up pitch boards. Uh, mm-hmm. Usually as a directing duo or any or a producer or someone who has an idea, you put together pitch boards with images of things that you think are cool and would inspire your movie and you pitch them, if you will, to, to the head of the studio. Or the head of the animation studio at that point, and so uh, I saw Kirk and Gary preparing a bunch of uh, a bunch of images for for a pitch, and I saw that they had some Mignola stuff there, and I, and um, I was uh, I knew Mike from Dark Horse, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, um, I mentioned that to Don that hey, you know, I've done some silly design stuff, and um, I'm also working. Uh, I've also done comic books, and I know Mignola and whatnot. Um, and so uh, I showed them my portfolio, and they kind of, and then like the next week, Don like requested me to be taken off of uh, Emperor's New Groove and put on Atlantis. And I spent like two or three years on Atlantis. It was really cool. It was another one of the, my favorite periods in my career, artistically. I could almost do whatever I want. And that movie's a, a, both visually amazing and the story is, is fantastic. I oh. love, love Atlantis. I, th- I hold it as, as the... Um, like the Apex at that time, that especially that that era before they they did the switchover. It's like it, Disney's getting away from you know the formula of like everything's kind of kiddie. Like they were actually trying to tell like adult more a little more mature stories, if you will. There is right. a story. There is. I mean, a lot of stuff happened on that picture, but one of them was that they have to do animation maquettes of all the characters, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And I didn't get one because you know <laughs> yeah. too bad, but. Uh, they did one of Helga, which is one of the antagonists in the picture, and she was holding a gun, mm-hmm. and they did not like that. Mm-hmm. They, so they she was reposed because you can't have a Disney character holding, holding a, gun. a gun, and you know take that for what you want to take it for. But um, it was my sort of uh, biggest opportunity at the studio. I made the most of it. I feel very proud of that picture. Um, it, um, that's one of the proudest things I. Uh, uh, one of the proudest things I can say about my career is that there's a huge warehouse in Glendale that has uh, nothing but all the animation drawings that have ever been done mm-hmm. by uh, artists at the at Disney Feature Animation, as it was called back then. And there's one of those boxes that has my stuff in there. Wow, that's yeah. Cool. Where awesome. can, is there any place like if, for people who are listening? They want for people play? that want to stock uh, mm-hmm. that. Uh, it's somewhere uh, near, it's somewhere in between both Portos. Mm-hmm. There's Portos Bakery in Burbank and Portos Bakery <laughs> in, in Glendale. Right in the middle there. <laughs> kind of where the 5 and the 170 meet. Right around there. That's as close as I'll get. Okay. You want to hear something? I'll tell you one last thing okay. about that. Okay. So I was working on the movie that became Wreck-It Ralph. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> 
which I've never seen. Really? What? Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. It's a funny business. Wow. So, uh, and so we, um, for the for that um, for that project, we want we were able to the, the the director of that picture, Sam Levine, who's a good friend of mine, said, "Hey, let's go to the IRL and look. We're going to look at the cool Tron development by Sid Mead and Mobius, mm-hmm. which was at the IRL. So we go to the IRL and we look at this stuff." And then I look at the guy that uh, is helping us, and I said, "Hey, can I look at my? Can I look at my stuff from uh, from Dinosaur?" He's like, "No." <laughs> and, I, wow. and I and I go, "Why? It's been a while." He's like, "Yeah, you need to put in like an order for that." And and I go, and that's kind of where you just go, "I know, dude," but like mm-hmm. you know, it's like I'm the guy that made. Yeah, it. I, I know. And you start uh, and anywhere. I think one of my rules in life is if you have to sit. If you have to, if you have to say, well, do you know who I am? Then mm-hmm. you're, you're all done. Okay. <laughs> but and I was like, you know, okay, so really, you have to go through all this stuff. He's like, yeah, because um, it's a huge warehouse, and we'd have to like go up and down and find it, and you know, they were also in the process of get this scanning everything. They're trying wow. to scan every piece of artwork ever done by the company. Well, I mean, one. Loose match by like a tricky arsonist, and like years of history could be gone. Yeah, yeah. Something so. turns into a, a long hardy picture. Yeah. Wow, wow. <laughs> so that uh, okay. So we're moving from Atlantis, and then you worked on Treasure Planet as well. I did work on Treasure Planet. Oh, I love Treasure Planet. Okay. I'm like one of like nine people who actually loves Treasure okay. Planet. Okay. Which another amazing film. All right. Uh, can you give us a little little uh, tidbit on that? Sure. Uh, I worked. I designed. Uh, uh, I took a design pass of most of the main characters, mm-hmm. and if you Google my name and Treasure Planet, you'll see some designs I did for a character named Amelia, mm-hmm. and Amelia was uh, the captain of the ship, and she was voiced by an actress whose name I can't remember. I think it was Benny Driver. Okay. Oh, the cat girl you're talking about, right? The cat girl. Yes. So, I remember uh, after Atlantis, uh, I, uh, they... The studio set up a meeting with myself and the directors, Ron and John, and Ron mm-hmm. and John are very nice, Ron Clements and John Musker. Yes, two very nice men. Like them a lot. So they had done, obviously, a few big pictures. They'd done Little Mermaid and mm-hmm. yada, yada. And um, they said, well, Ricardo, you know, we've got just tons and tons and tons of cat woman drawings. Can mm-hmm. you... Do you have any other ideas that you could uh, come up with for the captain? Mm-hmm. So then I thought, sure. And I uh, I said, I thought to myself, well, uh, how could you as a captain uh, kind of make your crew respect you? Mm-hmm. So I gave her like squid tentacles for her, her head. <laughs> and so uh, there's a drawing I did with all kinds of... Uh, uh, so she, she's standing off and she's got like a, a bunch of tentacles and they each hold like a, a knife or a musket and stuff like that <laughs> and I was really proud of it and they liked it but then uh, you know all that goes into the 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 kitchen soup of how much is it going to cost and how are we going to be able to animate all that and so but that was uh, that was a lot of fun as well awesome now I see you got to work on one of the Jurassic Park movies I did. You get to work on Jurassic Park three, mm-hmm. which, uh, depending on who you talk to, some people yeah, have I just opinions. Think, yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Every everybody I talked to, even people like it, as long as Taylor wasn't screaming, mm-hmm. the, it was an enjoyable film. Okay. Uh, what did, uh, what was your contribution to that? Uh, I dealt a lot with the sequence between the 
the crash of the plane mm-hmm. and the attack of the Spinosaur. So like the first big yes. set piece. Yeah, <laughs> and the uh, the ensuing chase with the Spinosaur and also the fight between the T-Rex and the Spinosaur. Love, yes. love that fight. Yeah. 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 yeah, literally, yeah, you're involved in like the best parts of it. But I, I got to be clear that yeah. I don't really mm-hmm. think that what I, a lot of, there's some stuff that I that I could see in the picture that was my idea, mm-hmm. but like this the actual fight, I, I really uh, I I didn't storyboard it as fight as a storyboard. Mm-hmm. I storyboarded it as like I drew it as like a series of beats or ideas or mm-hmm. gags, and some of them were okay and some of them were not. And um, um, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. I worked with two of my heroes, mm-hmm. which is uh, which are Joe Johnston. You know, I grew up, you know, Joe Johnston. Who doesn't love Joe Johnston? He designed yeah. that Millennium Falcon thing and all mm-hmm. that. Yes, and Credit Boba Fett. All that, mm-hmm. all that, right? Made and the Rocketeer. All that, like you know. <laughs> uh, and so the, he was the director, and Ed Rowe was a production designer, and those two guys basically were the illustrators on the three Indiana Jones films, the first ones, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, it was an honor to work with them, and um, it was uh, it was cool to sort of sit there and just come up with ideas. A lot of them were discarded, some of them were used, and um, basically one of the things that we kind of came up with is like the plane crashes in the sea, <laughs> and the tr- like how long the plane is and how tall the tree is worked out to be like the tree would fall like or the the plane would fall like two feet right somehow mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah, yeah. yes right so boop, it does that yeah but it, we had to make it this big you know thing mm-hmm. so it falls pretty dramatically and I, so i think you're inside the plane when it falls yeah so the that, cell yeah because the the fuselage goes down yeah and so that's spinosaur sort of rips off right, the top the front right so there's all kinds of gags in in the in the film that you know i was responsible for and we were working from a treatment, and that was again my so second Amblin picture. Yeah, so Men in Black was the first one, and the third Jurassic Park was the second one, and it was cool. I mean, I um, met Kathy Kennedy, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, working for for Ed and and Joe. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. How was uh, what's Joe Johnson like? Kind of a quiet dude. You'd really? be surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he does, he's not jaded. Mm-hmm. He likes a good idea when he sees one. Um, pretty, uh, uh, pretty into industrial design and flying and stuff like that. A lot, a lot of like the. Especially, I would assume like the the Rocketeer is like kind of like what goes on in his head a lot. Yeah, I mean, uh, we didn't talk about the Rocketeer a lot, mostly because we were so busy just kind of making the film, right? Yeah. And you. You get hired on one day and you start the next uh, Monday, and um, it's just um, um, all crazy. And like, I think I come off the Matrix sequels. Mm-hmm. No, no, I come off Incredibles. Okay, sorry. so it was like Matrix sequels, Incredibles, and then Jurassic Park three. Okay, let's jump. Okay, well, let's move from Jurassic Park three into the into the Incredibles. Okay, the to me the the peak of of Pixar animation. A lot of people feel that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and just like that, we got to end the show there. Oh, I know, just as it was getting good, people. But, hey, it's a long, long interview, and uh, we got to uh, we we leave a little bit for uh, for next time, especially uh, especially the Godzilla stuff. Believe me, it's coming. It's coming. Uh, you know, we didn't get to that till the second half of the interview. And uh, so tune in next week. 
I will have it up next week uh, for uh, your listening pleasure. The second half of the amazing adventures of Ricardo Delgado and uh, the uh, the jack of all trades that he is. It's just oh my god, the stuff. Believe me, we haven't even touched. Literally, and I'm, it's going to be a pun when you hear the next episode, the surface of what he, this man has done. So uh, if you like this episode and you like uh, you like all our past episodes, you can check us out on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe. Please leave some comments. We would love, love to hear what you guys think. Do you love listening to the uh, to the sultry tales of Mr. Ricardo Delgado? Because uh, as I love him, Jessica loved him. I know that Mark loved him, so we want to know that, that you loved him out there, too. And I, I got a good feeling you guys, uh, you guys will, and probably have by the time you listen to this. Uh, you can also... Check us out at our site, panzercrush.com, uh, for you know more episodes. You can also check uh, more of my work out over at the uh, realmcast.com, uh, where I run uh, three to four other podcasts. And we got a whole podcast network over there just full of Aural, A-U-R-L, pleasure. Uh, you can check out uh, the rundown for The Flash, the rundown for The Arrow. You could check out Take Two, hosted by myself and my good buddy, George Cordero. You could check out the Comics Unchained podcast, hosted by my good friend, Sergio Sanchez, and his uh, his second in command with Kraken Indiana. You can also check out uh, the Walking Dead rundown as well, which has returned, which is also hosted by Sergio Sanchez and uh, uh, his other compatriots over there. You can also check out Jessica on Facebook, and on the girl on geek.com. And she has her whole little spiel down in her head. I don't have it done yet, but it's in the show notes, people. It's in the show notes. So, for that, we'll do it for this edition of the Kaiju Kingdom podcast. Myself, Jessica, 